0: speak this morning on something I'm simply calling the grace of giving. The grace of giving. Um, When um, Theodore Roosevelt, um, we would know him from being the President of the United States, but before he became the President of the United States, he was at one time the police commissioner for New York. And on one occasion, he was interviewing an Irish applicant who wanted to become uh, a policeman for the New York Police Department, the NYPD, as it's known. And in this interview, he asked this Irish applicant, what would you do if a mob gathered and you had to disperse it? So the Irishman, whose name was Pat, said, well, that's easy, easy. He said, I would pass around my hat for a collection, sir. Um, And he obviously believed that the crowd would quickly disperse. When it comes to giving, we can so easily have the wrong attitude, especially where money is concerned. We can often see it as a debt that we owe, rather than a seed That we sow. Let me say that again. Often, when it comes to giving, particularly to the work of God, we can sometimes see it as a debt that we owe rather than a seed that we sow. It says in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, don't be misled. God is not mocked. You will always reap or harvest what you sow or what you plant. We had read to us this morning from Nanny from Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 38. And in those few verses, Jesus is bringing some counterculture teaching. The Jewish people despised the Romans because they were constantly oppressed by them. It was rather like their forefathers when the People of Israel were slaves in Egypt. They were oppressed by Pharaoh and the Egyptians who held them in slavery. Now, in the New Testament, the people of Israel were in captivity again under the Roman Empire, and of course, Caesar was regarded as Lord. But Jesus says this is the kind of attitude you should have love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer them the other. If someone asks for your coat, will give them your shirt as well. Give to anyone who asks. And here was teaching that was counter culture to how they naturally would have wanted to live. In the Old Testament, The way in which they were encouraged to live was that you had the right to take revenge (coughs) if somebody mistreated you. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth was what they understood. But here Jesus is teaching them to have a completely different attitude towards those who oppress you, who are unkind to you, who wrongfully treat you. And when Jesus said to them, love your enemies, he was not talking about having affection towards them, But rather, he was saying, those who oppress you, you respond with acts of kindness, because love always demands action. For the last 52 years, I have been telling Janice that I love her. Seek to tell her every single day. But if I didn't demonstrate that love, my words would be so hollow and empty. Love always demands action if you look in 1 john chapter 3 and verse 18 in the new testament john says this let's not merely say that we love each other let us show the truth by our actions love is an action word now the whole message of this counterculture teaching that jesus was bringing here in luke chapter 6 was all about the grace of giving. This is why Jesus said give and it will be given to you. You will receive. Your gift will return in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount that you receive. And this is not just about money. In actual fact, Jesus didn't speak about money in those verses in Luke. This is about an attitude of giving in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Now, Paul, in the New Testament, in Ephesians 2, he says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. The word grace in the Greek language is the word charis, that literally means favor or kindness. And Peter actually says to us in his letter in the New Testament, he says, growing grace, growing grace, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So here's a big question. Brian was talking earlier about when he became a Christian and how his life was changed. Think back over your Christian life, however long or short it is, and here's the question. How much have you grown in grace? How much have you grown in kindness and in favour towards other people? How gracious a person are you because of what God has done for you through Jesus Christ? They are rhetorical questions that we can just personally take to heart and consider. Now, we also had read to us this morning some verses from Deuteronomy chapter 15. Jenny read those verses to us. And that passage is all about the release of slaves and debtors. Moses was giving teaching to the people of Israel about how they should treat slaves and how they should treat people who were indebted to them, and particularly after seven years. So, if you became a slave to somebody, or if you borrowed money from somebody, at the end of seven years, you would be released of that servantness or slavery or the indebtedness that you had incurred to that person. But what Moses is teaching here in Deuteronomy 15 is about having the right attitude towards those who are either slaves to you or indebted to you. And I just give acknowledgement here to something that um, Amanda, Amanda and Blessing, she mentioned a few weeks ago. I think it was when Janice was speaking about some teaching by somebody called Robert Morris and uh, a book that he'd written called The Blessed Life. I listened to some of his teaching in the week and I found it very helpful. If we had a millionaire in level 10 church and that person tithed a tenth of their income to the church, how much do you think they would pay monthly in our tithes and offerings? According to my maths, it would be 7,700 pounds a month, approximately. I don't know if any of you are millionaires, but uh, we haven't seen that kind of revenue pouring in, I don't think, from one individual. But that's what it would be. If a millionaire tithed one-tenth of their income every month, it will be approximately 7,700 pounds. Now, most Millionaires don't readily give their money away. Brian talked about a millionaire friend. The reason they became millionaires was because they didn't give their money away. Um, but most millionaires don't readily give their money away. I've even known Christians who are pretty wealthy but are reluctant to tithe their income simply because they want to have a control or a say in how it's used. If ever you watch on television, Dragon's Den, they're all millionaires, but when they do back some kind of project, they control how their money is used, so they ultimately make more money out of it. That's not what the grace of giving is all about. And Moses teaches four very important attitudes that we should have as gracious givers. And I want to just highlight them to you from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 15. Uh, my favorite version is the New Living Bible. So I'm going to be quoting from the NLT, but it will be pretty similar in your Bible. Four things that we need to take notice of so that we understand what the grace of giving is all about as taught through the Bible. First of all, we have to recognize selfishness. We must recognize selfishness. In verses 7 and 9 of Deuteronomy 15, Moses says, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted. Do not be mean-spirited. You see, selfishness is rooted in all of us because sin is about pleasing self. Satan was ejected from heaven because of selfishness. Satan then tempted Adam and Eve into sin by inducing them to think more of themselves than of obedience to God. And then we find that Satan tried to tempt Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, he tried to tempt Jesus when Jesus was driven into the wilderness and he prayed and fasted for 40 days, at the end of 40 days he was hungry, Satan tried to tempt Jesus into selfishness because he said if you're the son of God, well you're hungry, you have the power to turn these stones into bread. He was tempting Jesus to think about his own needs. Jesus responded, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. Selfishness is rooted in sin. It's a sinful attitude that is opposite to godliness. You see, God is not hard hearted. God is not tight-fisted. God is not mean-spirited. And Moses teaches the people here in Deuteronomy 15 that when there are those who are in need among you, think of their needs rather than your needs. Paul puts it like this in the New Testament. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And then he goes on in those familiar words in Philippians 2, Jesus humbled himself, became obedient to the cross, took upon himself the form of a servant, and he died. Jesus gave his life away totally. And the constant attitude of Jesus was to continually give his life away for the good of others. In his whole ministry in the three and a half years on earth, Jesus was always giving his life away, always thinking of others. There wasn't a moment when he said to the crowd, look, I'm tired. I'm worn out. Please go away and come another time. It didn't matter how Jesus was feeling. He was always ready to give his life away for the good of others. Did you know that God created giving for our sakes and not his? God doesn't need anything. The Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We were reminded in that song this morning, 100 billion galaxies are all his, all the stars. Praise and honor him. God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't need anything from me because he owns everything. And God created giving so that we would behave like him. John three sixteen God so loved the world that he gave. God is so generous and so kind and so merciful. And so Moses wanted the people to understand, and we need to understand if we're gonna be people who understand the grace of giving we have to recognize that within us there's a tendency towards selfishness. The second thing we have to do is to reject grudgingness. I looked up the word grudgingness, did the old Google thing, and it told me I could create it. So maybe I've created a word this morning, (laughs) grudgingness, but uh, you understand what it means. Moses said in verse 10 of Deuteronomy 15, give generously to the poor, not grudgingly. Now to give grudgingly means that you don't want to give it in the first place. The word in the Hebrew literally means to be distressed or to be displeased. That's how grudgingly makes you feel. Think for a moment of the tax man. When you get a tax bill, or when at the end of your monthly pay packet, you think a lot of tax has been taken, what do you do? You begrudge the tax tax man. How many of you write loving letters to the tax man saying, I am absolutely thrilled to send this tax payment to you. I am so kind. I want you to be blessed by my tax contribution. I pray that it will do good for the nation. We don't do that. We grudgingly pay our taxes. That's the understanding of what that word means. Paul said to the Christians at Corinth, when they collected money for the Christians in Jerusalem who were being persecuted, he says, I want you to be giving your gift willingly, not one that's given grudgingly. In the Greek, the word grudgingly is plexionexia. Now, if you suffer from plexionexia, it's a lovely word, isn't it? Plexionexia. It literally means extreme greed for wealth and material possessions and insatiable covetousness. You see, The more you possess, the more you want. And the more possessions you have, the more they possess you. The reason for grudging after giving is because we thought whatever we had to give was ours in the first place. That's why we begrudge giving at times when we consider whatever we're having to give that it belongs to me. You know, the grace of giving is rooted in the fact that everything we have in life is on loan to us. We don't own anything. The Bible says, true godliness with contentment is in itself great worth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can take nothing with us when we leave. I am sure that Adam and Emmy would have been so blessed when little Seth came into the world, if in his little hands, he was clutching dozens of 100 pound (laughs) notes, wouldn't they be thrilled as a couple. (laughs) But he came into this world with nothing well he was a wonderful gift. Anyway, they were more than happy just to have him as he was. And you can see him there, a lovely, contented little boy. But we all know we bring nothing into this world. And when we leave, we leave it all behind. So whatever possessions you've got, whatever things you treasure in life now, whatever things you think are so precious and valuable to you, whether it's that Monet painting that is just behind Gemma's head, or some other great piece of art or whatever it is, let me tell you, it will all be left behind. And if you have a wonderful tattoo hidden somewhere on your body, an amazing creative piece of artwork, when you die, it will either be cremated or it will rot in the ground. Everything we spend our money on, everything that we possess that we think is precious and of value and of worth to us, it all gets left behind. So the fact is, we don't own anything. However many years we spend on this earth, everything we possess is on loan to us and God trusts us to use it for his glory. You see, Jesus told the story of the rich man who came to him and the rich ruler and said, I, I want to know what I need to do to be sure that I will have eternal life. And Jesus said, "Well, will keep the commandments. He said, I've done all of that. I've honoured my father and my mother. I've not committed adultery. I've done everything the law requires. And Jesus looked at him and said, well, there's one other thing. You've got a lot of possessions. You're pretty wealthy. Give all your wealth away and then come and follow me. The Bible says the man went away sad, why? Because he begrudged giving his wealth away. You see, Moses said here in Deuteronomy 15, if you give not grudgingly, then the Lord your God will bless you in everything. What a statement. If you give with the right spirit, if you give with the right attitude, God will bless you. And in Proverbs chapter 10, it says, the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich. And he adds no sorrow to it. I would rather be rich with the blessing of God than any material things that this world can offer. So the grace of giving tells us that we have to reject that begrudging spirit that so often can affect us when we think we own our possessions but then something else that Moses teaches here the third thing is that we need to put on generousness put on generousness because in verses 8 10 and 14 of Deuteronomy 15 Moses says be generous and lend them what they need give generously to the poor, give your servant a generous farewell gift from your flock. Three times he speaks about an attitude of generosity. Now, a few weeks ago, Janice spoke on the spirit of generosity that was seen in the early Christian church. And she spoke about how we need to give our lives away. And she spoke in particular about giving our lives away in the words that we say, in the actions that we fulfill, and of course, in our money and finances. And when Moses speaks of an attitude of generosity, he's literally meaning being open-handed. In other words, not tight-fisted, but having an openness of heart towards others And their needs. Now, if you are a natural saver, and when I speak of a natural saver, I mean somebody who thinks twice before they spend nothing. You know, uh, think about that for a moment. But a a natural saver is somebody who, um, you know, is very cautious and very careful with their money. They'd rather it was in the bank than in their wallet or their purse or their pocket. That's the natural saver. If you are a natural saver, generosity will not come easily. I remember growing up in my home church and we had a lady there called Mrs. May. And she was a widowed lady, but she she often went out with her family. And I knew that if ever we stopped and looked in a shop window and I said, oh, I would love one of those, she would be in the shop and buy it for me. I'd get told off by my mum, but dear (laughs) Mrs May was so generous. She just would give whatever, and I, as a little boy, only had to drop a subtle hint, and I'd say to my mum later, I didn't mean it, but she would buy anything. You see, if you're a natural saver, generosity will not come easily to you. If you're a compulsive spender, then generosity might be easier for you. But you see, whatever we might be naturally, generosity of spirit is an attitude that we must put on. You see, the Apostle Paul said in Colossians 3, clothe yourself in tender-hearted mercy and kindness. And because our sinful nature, we don't find generosity natural because of our sinful nature, talking about earlier about selfishness, because our sinful nature often works against a generosity of spirit, we have to put generosity on like a piece of clothing. Now, all of you this morning, I assume, went to your wardrobe and decided, yes, I'll I'll put this on. We, we all make a choice on a daily basis of the clothes we're going to wear. So it is in the spiritual sense, Paul says we need to clothe ourselves with kindness, with mercy, with goodness, with love, literally putting on those attitudes on a daily basis. Paul also said in 2 Corinthians 9, let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving, all because God loves hilarious generosity. Now, when we were meeting together um, back over a year ago, we would um, have two boxes at the front of the church that you could put your tithes and offerings in. I have never yet not only in our church, but in any church, I've never yet seen anybody in fits of laughter giving their money to the Lord's work. Now, maybe once we start to meet again, we'll have to see if we can do that. Because the scripture says God loves a hilarious giver. Somebody is just so thrilled, so excited, so overjoyed at giving. That's what God loves, says the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 9. And then in Acts 20, Paul reminds us of this. He said, I've left you an example of how you should serve and take care of those who are weak, for we must always cherish the words of the Lord Jesus when he said, it is more blessed to give than to get or to receive. Giving brings far greater blessing than receiving. So we need to recognize selfishness. We need to reject grudging we need to put on generousness, but finally this morning, we need to practice gratefulness. Paul's, uh, Moses says in Deuteronomy 15, verse 15, remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. Remember when you release your servants that for six years they have given you service worth double the wages of a hired worker. So in the Old Testament times, if you were running a farm and it was harvest time and you needed to hire workers, you would need to give them a set salary on a daily basis. But under the laws of slavery, if you owned a slave, all you would be required to pay them was half of what you would pay a hired worker. And Moses reminds them of this. You've had cheap labor from this person, but in on the seventh year, they are entitled to be set free. And therefore, you need to be grateful. And when you set them free, give them a gift from your flock, give them a couple of lambs, give them some sheep. you be generous towards them because, you need to always remember that at one time you were slaves in Egypt, and God, in his generosity, came and set you free in a remarkable way and brought you into the promised land. You see, this is about an attitude of gratitude. Janice encouraged us this morning in small groups when we gathered to share communion together to actually pray prayers of thanks. We need to be a people of gratitude. Do you know if God never did another single thing for you in your life, everything he has done is far more than you and I ever deserved in the first place. And we need to have an attitude of gratitude. We live in a self-centered, selfish world where we are taught that everything is about me and about my comfort, about my life being the way that I want it to be. That is bad. That is not biblical. We need to be people who are grateful for the grace and the mercy and the kindness that God has shown to us through Jesus entering into our world. We have to practice gratitude. Do you say grace before you have a meal? Or is that something that you don't do now because, well, it's, it's, you know, it's a bit old hat, it's old fashioned? We need to be grateful for everything we receive on a daily basis. There's nothing wrong with just a short prayer before you eat your meal. Lord, thank you so much for this food that is provided for me. If we cultivate an attitude of gratitude, if we practice it, remembering the good things that God has done for us, remembering his kindness, remembering what your life was before you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, We need to be people who have an attitude of gratitude. The Israelites so readily forgot what God had done for them in bringing them out of their captivity in Egypt. The moment they faced some discouragement, they were moaning and complaining against Moses. David said in Psalm 103, Let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart. I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord, and may I never forget the good things he does for me. David realized that he needed to practice gratefulness, and he says to himself, may I never forget to be thankful Here's another reason why we need to practice gratefulness. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, God who is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it is by grace that you have been saved. So the grace of giving... It's all about recognizing that there's a tendency towards selfishness within us and we have to deal with that. It's all about rejecting a begrudging kind of nature or attitude. It's about putting on generosity and it's about practicing gratitude. I'll tell you a story. Most of us have heard of Mother Teresa and the incredible work that she used to do in Calcutta during her lifetime. And there's a story told of a six year old orphan boy. The sisters had rescued him from the streets of Calcutta where he was dying of fever and they nursed this little six year old boy back to health. On the day that he was to leave to go to another home, they gave him a small packet of sugar. It was a highly prized commodity among the poor because a quarter of sugar was equal to a day's wages. As the little boy walked through the gates, he saw the sisters carrying in another child, obviously in great need. He walked straight over to them, handed the sugar to the sisters, saying that he wanted that sick boy to have it. Mother Teresa asked him why he had done it. And he said this, I think that this is what Jesus would have done. The old saying, WWJD, what would Jesus do? If we make that our motto, then we will always have the right attitude and know the grace of giving through our lives. We're not gonna go into breakout groups now, but I wanna set you some homework for this week. And this is what I want you to do. I'd like you to create an attitude diary. So whenever you face a bit of a difficult situation this week, if somebody speaks harshly to you, if somebody criticizes you, if you're driving your car and somebody cuts you up and shows you a few of their fingers as they drive by, if you get in an awkward situation, I want you to reflect on it afterwards and consider your attitude, where you filled with rage and anger. Did you speak back words that put the person down? Just take a note of your attitude in different difficult moments. If you're married, how's your attitude towards your spouse? You know those moments when we perhaps rub one another up the wrong way, those awkward little moments? Just take a note. What was my attitude like in that? situation and then also in your diary will you take note of the opportunities you have had in the coming week to give something of your life away for the good of someone else janice reminded us that we need to be generous in our words in our actions as well as in the use of our money Maybe you'll have an opportunity this week to praise somebody. So take a note of how you're able to give your life away and to have the opportunity to express the grace of giving. And then one third thing, just to take note, how did it make you feel? When you've demonstrated the grace of giving, as Moses has taught in Deuteronomy 15, just know how did you feel in those moments? And uh, I'm not going to ask you to report back next Sunday, nothing like that. This is just a personal journey so that we can grow together in our understanding of the grace of giving. Let's pray for a moment before we just hand back to Jeff. Father, we find it so inadequate to simply say thank you for sending Jesus. Lord, we can't find words enough to express our our gratitude. And when we're reminded in that song of of the billion galaxies that you breathed into space and your awesomeness and your greatness, and yet, despite that, you're so personally interested in each and every one of us. You loved us so much that you sent Jesus. Father God, what a gift. And we know that Jesus gave his life away in every sense. And I pray that we will have that attitude, that grace-filled attitude. And that, Lord, we will be able to give our lives away knowing that, as you said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And that, Lord, in this coming week, we will have the joy of growing in our understanding of what the grace of God is all about. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.